Welcome to Uplifting Women Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. Welcome, everyone. This is Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk welcoming you to the Uplifting Women podcast today. Today, we are honored to have with us Dr. Mira Branku, who is the founder of Branku and Associates, a boutique consulting firm that aims to help leaders navigate large, complex organizations and helps organizations make it easier for them to navigate. She has a special passion for helping emerging and underrepresented women leaders gain the influence, power, leadership, and resiliency skills needed to succeed in today's diverse, complex, and ever-changing world. She also specializes in working in healthcare, academic, federal government, and nonprofit industries. With over 20 years of experience as a counselor, psychologist, researcher, leader, and consultant in large, complex organizations, Dr. Branku has built an unrivaled understanding for how to apply psychological principles to addressing some of the most challenging leadership and management situations. She helps leaders strategically and intentionally build effective teams, resolve stressful conflicts, deliver important messages, exert influence, develop a resilient leadership mindset, and manage at all levels. Dr. Branku received the 2020 Early Career Woman Psychologist in Management Award, has a National Psychology Today blog focused on women's leadership, is an associate professor at Duke University, and an associate editor of the Consulting Psychology Journal. Dr. Branku holds a PhD in clinical psychology, a master's degree in counseling, and certificates in business essentials, diversity, equity, and inclusion, Lean Six Sigma, and transformational and mentor coaching. We are so grateful to have you here today. I don't know what you do in your free time with a with a bio like this. My goodness. I don't know. I'm, a, I'm an overachiever that specializes in busyness. Mira, this is, I read your book, Millennial's Guide to Workplace Politics, uh, that you wrote with Jennifer Wisdom. And I know it's part of a series that focuses on providing help to millennials in a variety of different capacities in work and life, etc. But I got to tell you, this book is applicable. And I'm, I'm long past being a millennial. Number one, I wish I'd have had this book when I was in my 30s. And number two, I can think of probably uh, a dozen people that I should send it to right away. So thank you and Jennifer Wisdom for putting this together. Such a practical, practical guide for dealing with the dirty word 
politics. There's such a bad vibe around that word politics. But as I often remind my coachees, politics is not a bad thing. It exists. You have to educate yourself about it. You have to know how to use it in positive ways. Tell us, number one, how did you come to do this work? And how did you come to offer this book to the rest of the world? First of all, thank you for your very kind words. I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad that it resonated. I'm hoping it resonates with many others. I mean, I think the, the moment you mention workplace politics, right? Everybody like bristles. They're like, oh gosh. And so um, having a guide, I wondered at first, like, would people think that the message is playing the game? And I don't want to play that game. I don't want to play that dirty politics game. Like, forget it, you know? Or would they find something that would help make it easier? easier, ease the burden, right? So that that is the goal is to ease the burden. Why did I choose this topic out of all topics? Let me just start with the story of, it, it would seem like this is not related at all, but I promise you it is. I'll start with the story of, of um, me early, early in life. I was a uh, an immigrant to this country. We came here when I was six years old. And I had to, you know, learn the language and which was quite difficult. And so for, you know, the first, I would say four or five years of being in this country, as my language awkwardly developed, I took a lot of time to observe people. How did they interact? What worked? What didn't? Why were these people popular and had all this power and influence, and why were these people not popular or didn't have power and influence? And how did that happen and why? And um, what were the communication patterns? And so I didn't know that that was like my budding, you know, early psychologist <laughs> developing inside of me, but that's probably where all of that started. And as I learned the language and I obviously have conquered it, as you hear, I thought, okay, I've got the language down, now I'm gonna get a degree. I'm going to conquer the world of, of my career of choosing, right? So I started my first career as a counselor and um, feeling like I was fully equipped at this point. How old were you at that point? <laughs> so, yes. So I was at that time uh, starting at about 23 years old and uh, through maybe about 25, let's say really overzealous, excited about, you know, contributing to the world and all of this stuff. And, and I was, I worked in a somewhat large complex system for public schools and then for private school. And what I learned over time was that you can have the language down and not understand the culture at all. And this was only revealed to me after uh, a major screw up. <laughs> and what happened uh, was I just took everything really like a straightforward thing. Like you just, it, it is what it is. And I present it and um, things will be solved. Right. So I remember one day thinking, reading something about ethics and telling my leader, Hey, um, I read this thing about ethics and I think what you're doing is unethical. And I just thought you'd want to know, and um, here's some solutions to it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is looking back ridiculous and embarrassing, right? This person was several layers up from me, not even like my immediate supervisor, but several layers up. And I, I, I didn't realize that was wrong until my immediate supervisor sat me down and said, Mira, that was not well received. And I was like, what? And 
um, she's like, no, that was not well received. And it, it hit me like sort of a, a bolt of lightning then and there, like, oh my God, I made so many assumptions. And I felt so bad. And I was like, I, let me talk with her. I want to straighten this out. I want to have a frank one, you know, one-on-one. And that, and my supervisor was like, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. Let this go. I fixed it. And I was like, oh, you, you fixed it. Um, thank you. I, wow. Phew, uh, thank you. Uh, what did you, what did you do to fix this? And she said, Mira, I just told her that um, English is a second language for you and you sometimes miss things. And um, this is probably one of those things that you missed. Okay. Um, Yes, English is a second language, but now it's a first language. You can hear me right now. There's no problem I have with the language, right? But what she did was she felt like she had to cover up my grave error with this sort of easier way to to brush off. But instead, what happened was that basically put a label on me as clueless from that point forward. And Mm. I wasn't invited to the decision-making table anymore. I was excluded from from, um, certain things because I was going to miss things. I was clueless, right? So at the end of that whole career, I, I said, okay, I am never, ever going to work for another large bureaucratic hierarchical system ever again. That's it. I'm done. But somehow, uh, when I finished my clinical psychology degree, I ended up working for what is arguably one of the largest, most bureaucratic hierarchical systems in the U.S. (laughs) And I I was like, how did I even end up in this situation? How did I, what, what am I, what am I doing in this situation? But everything was different at this point. Everything was different for me because I ended up in a really fortunate situation where I had a mentor who, even though he was my um, supervisor, had gathered so much experience in the system, so much knowledge. He was, he was a vast, a, a wise and strategic person who really helped me understand how to understand a culture of any system, not just one, but really how to go about understanding how to navigate any large complex system or culture. And this this could apply really to any situation. So as a result, within five months, I was promoted to a management position. Within three years, I was provided with a stretch assignment and asked to go help serve in a leadership position to basically two positions above mine in a role that that was managing a very politically sensitive situation and um, with high visibility and high stakes. And then from that point forward, continued to be promoted into um, larger, higher level leadership positions, higher stakes, larger scope, more politically sensitive people in leadership roles, trusting me that I can handle these situations. And the point is that I was the same person. It's not like I changed personalities, right? And it's really about learning a skill set that wasn't available to me in my first position and uh, what a difference it makes when it is available to you, um, when you do have access to that information. So bringing it all together, 
over the years, what I've really enjoyed uh, that I've found rewarding is when other women um, earlier in their career would come to me and say, Mira, how, how did you get this done? How did you accomplish this? How, how did you get visibility on this and get approval of your leaders? How do I get past this very frustrating barrier? And realizing just how much I've, I had learned and picked up and was able to share. And so I realized, you know, not everybody has access to this kind of mentorship. Like it's very, very rare. And that kind of mentorship, not only is it rare, but it's rare at much lower levels for younger people, for earlier career people. It's usually available only at the highest levels of an organization when somebody's really invested in your work. Guess who's often not at those higher levels? It's usually women and and people of color, right? Um, And so my goal with this book and with what I do is to have translated in a very practical way all of the things that I picked up and learned that, that worked, as well as based on lots of like literature review and, and research about, about what works, to make it as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. In a very easy to read, you know, just choose a chapter and read about it. It doesn't have to be like read start to finish, that kind of thing, but as practical as possible, as simple, as quick um, as possible. It, it truly is just that. And I, a question I have for you is, do you feel that that early career misstep was an accelerator for you in becoming much more politically savvy? I think it was a combination because, of course, by the end, I felt so burned. I never wanted to engage in it again, right? So that could have created an enormous barrier to to me leaving and never trying again, which we have a lot of women in that situation being burned once and that's the end of it, right? Like, forget that. I'm not, I'm not never engaging again. And so when I actually first started with my new career, I was fairly resistant. Like I was like, I'm not playing any games. I, this is not a career for me. This is just a job. I've got other things I can do outside of this, you know, like real kind of, I guess, trying to gain, gain some control of, of a situation that otherwise would have felt overwhelming. I think what really did help was having someone who saw strengths in me that I did not see that I had in myself and um, challenging me to challenge myself when my confidence had actually been pretty beaten from the last situation. Once I was able to like understand and apply, I was like, I'm doing this everywhere. <laughs> and it really like, it is kind of amazing that once you have this skill set, I'm, I'm able to enter most environments, most, you know, whether it's, you know, volunteering for an organization or contributing in other ways in, in my community. I usually end up in a leadership role within a year as a result of just be this becoming a natural part of how I function. Right. Sort of the message I'm hearing is you can't avoid politics. It's there. You can have a bad experience. You can say, Oh, I'm never doing that again. I'm not playing the game. I'm not. But the reality is it's part of the culture and learning how to navigate that is a critical job 
skill. It's a it's critical life skill, I would argue, because we're constantly bombarded with sticky situations that we have to figure out, all right, how do I do this the right way? I think what you mentioned about you can't avoid it, right? You can decide I'm not going to engage, but that level of disengagement is really shortchanging your potential opportunities. And it doesn't just shortchange you, it shortchanges anyone who's working with you because Mm. they're leaning on you to do your part of any team project. And if you refuse to work with certain people, uh, figure out ways to work around um, barriers that don't make sense or whatever, and just throw your hands up, then that's fine, but you're losing out on a lot of opportunities, greater results for you and your team. I also agree with you. You started out like talking about politics as neutral, and it is neutral. The, the downside for us these days is we've been sort of bombarded with the negative side, and we don't see very often the, the positive side of how to do positive, honest politics. That's, mm-hmm. that's the problem. Can you give our listeners an example of what that would look like in a positive setting? Let's first take the neutral way to define it and then how to apply it, how people are are applying it in a dirty way and then how you apply it in a positive, right? So the neutral, my sort of framework, and this is actually not in the book, but the way that I think about politics in a neutral way. So you're getting, is like a um, three-legged stool, three, three components, okay? There is the need to have high emotional intelligence. And what that means is understanding myself well enough to know where I stop and someone else starts. Meaning what am I bringing to the table, including my baggage and my triggers, and understanding the other person enough to know what are they bringing to the table that has nothing to do with me. You can use that in all kinds of ways, negotiation, sales. I mean, it applies to lots of things, this emotional intelligence. The second leg is understanding systems. You are not in a vacuum. None of us are in a vacuum. When we're at home with our families or friends, we are not in a vacuum. We are with other people. When we're working for any organization, when we're on the road commuting with other people, <laughs> there it's a system. And there are rules in that system. Some of them are explicit and some are not. And understanding um, how to assess the different layers of a system and who is involved and how people have formal and informal power in that system and how to influence it is like the second leg. The final leg is how to drive results. So being able to know how to get to an outcome that is desirable, some kind of change. So that's neutral, right? If you know, we all know leaders who are highly emotionally intelligent and who know how to work a system and who know how to drive results and do it in a way that causes a lot of damage and harm to a lot of people by manipulating them and conniving them and all kinds of things for their own selfish reasons, mm-hmm. their personal gain, right? However, you can apply the same three components, learning how you know to understand yourself and other people, learning how to navigate a system um, and understand you know the, the different layers and driving results in a way that benefits you and your team, 
and the organization to make a very powerful impact. And so uh, some examples of, of that are like when managers help their team go through a really rough transition. And instead of just saying, you're going to do this and it doesn't matter how, and, and the only thing that's important is my bonus or my performance appraisal you know, evaluation, but rather they bring everybody with them. How can we all apply our talents, knowing who you are and you and you and me, and leverage all of these things together? And if we can come up with a way to do that, and I can drive it through the system, and um, align our efforts with the priorities of the system. The system wins, we win, I win, right? That's fantastic. The power of neutral politics. And, and you know, I use, that, I use examples like that with a lot of my coachees to talk through, okay, you know what you want. You have an idea what somebody else wants. Is this a situation where you can give in to your own needs a little bit in order to raise up another's, knowing that you are at the same time building, let's say, a, let's call it a chip for the future, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. now when something is very important to you, this person looks to you and says, you know, I'm going to support your initiative in this and help raise you up because you supported me at a different time. That's the power of politics, Right. Really understanding when you can give up something that you want in service of some other goal and gaining that recognition and respect from somebody else because it's a give and take. So that, that's to me what politics is about. You're building capital. Yes. And the diff- there's different kinds of capital you, bring, you can build. You build information capital, how much you understand about the system, how it works. You build social capital through networking and identifying stakeholders, people who might have um, certain knowledge or power or information or can support you or advocate for you or whatever. And so there's all kinds of capital that you can build over time. And as you build that, you can also help others build and sort of this momentum of creating positive change so that you can basically protect the system from becoming toxic or overwhelmed with the negative stuff. I'm interested in the conversation around politics and really talking about this in terms of that relationship building in that foundational relationship building in your research. What are some of the differences that you've seen between the way that men approach a political situation versus the way that women will sometimes approach a political situation? So I hate to generalize because, of course, there's going to be some women who do the same as men. Of course. But that said, I think because of the fact that men have had so much more historical experience sharing information with each other in lots of different settings and ways, for example, you know, historically and still to this day in certain um, industries outside of the work setting, they go golfing, they go to the bar. They, you know, do things that might might be um, harder or more prohibitive or not desirable for some women, depending on their own, you know, personal circumstance or situation. Or they don't even invite. They don't even think. They forget to invite women if if they're in the minority in 
in a situation. And it's there that they share all of this information. Oh, but if you if you go to so-and-so, then so-and-so has the power to be able to stamp that and move it forward. Don't go to so-and-so, they won't stamp it. You know, like all of these things that we're, we haven't been privy to. And so the problem for women then is we assume things are really straightforward and we either keep our nose down, hoping that our work will get noticed and then it'll move forward and somebody will just magically take our beautiful work that we've done and move it up the chain. It'll get approved and yay, you know, which rarely happens or we just won't be privy to that kind of information about how so-and-so is much more effective at helping you, you know, carry this forward because they have a lot more influence than if you just go to the person who's actually in the role to do it. <laughs> you know, the, these are the, the the kinds of things. So part of it is not having access to that knowledge and not necessarily looking for it or assuming that it is as straightforward as it's supposed to be. And the other is finding that kind of icky and not wanting to engage in it in the first place. Like, ugh. Do I really need to work around? I really don't want to work around, you know, this person. I really don't want to have to self-promote. This is like another really big one, right? Is they think about the kinds of things that have become really natural to men, like self-promoting or negotiating or, you know, these kinds of things. They see it as not natural, not authentic, and don't engage instead of realizing it's just another way to communicate. Negotiating or self-promoting or asking for a you know, promotion or whatever is just another way to communicate to leaders who aren't tracking every single thing that you're doing all the time, helping them track what you're doing or yeah. helping them engage in understanding your needs and you engaging in understanding their needs. I, I don't think that it is a failure on women's part at all to try to figure these things out or that they have any failure in abilities or, or it's really access to this, this kind of information. This whole idea of these informal knowledge groups, you know, the golfing, the, you know, the drinks after work, how about we'll throw in the cigar bar? I mean, all those things. I mean, those aren't things that women typically are naturally drawn to. Some of the things that I'm seeing emerge these days as being these informal groups for women are like support circles, women, groups of women with like needs, whatever, get together and just talk about challenges that they're having in an informal way. I'm curious, have you seen any other, I don't want to call them girls clubs, but I guess they kind of are. If I think about the golfing and the bourbon and the cigars and all the rest would be guys. Clubs. Right, right. Have you seen any so other things? So stereotypical, right? Unfortunately. You know, now they, they actually have even formal groups in some sort of more forward thinking organizations called ERGs, right? And yeah. they're like re- resource groups yeah. for not just women, but all kinds of affinity groups. And it's it's for them, it's not for them to just come together and complain, but really find solace in, you know, um, the same struggles and realize they're not alone, even if they might be in, a, in the minority, but then in as, as a way to develop and form and grow their network, identify people across the system, ideally across the organization that they develop these relationships with and therefore get more things done. So they're they're creating the same kind of things. And then outside more informally, like across organizations, 
yeah, even being part of uh, various volunteer groups, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of women join professional volunteer groups uh, and organizations where they get to know each other, they network outside of their organization. This helps them also even get a leg up if they lose their job or are looking for something else, even like going to the gym together as groups or whatever. So there's, there's lots and lots of ways now, especially with the internet and with all kinds of affinity groups developing constantly, you know, online are thankfully many more ways these days that women can connect to other professional women uh, doing, you know, the same thing or in the same industry and ask each other like for support or for guidance or for how, how did you get this done? So the, the basic message is you don't have to do it alone. You shouldn't. You should not have, you should not do it alone, period. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's very isolating, right? To, to be trying to do it alone, fighting an entire system or the last yeah. thing we need is, is for women to feel isolated or that they're struggling with this alone. I can promise you that if you're experiencing it, there are others facing the same thing or others who have faced and conquered the same and you can learn from them. You could connect with them. We've talked about men on the golf course in the cigar bar. We've talked about women and the opportunities that they have. Where is the crossover? At what point is the conversation about politics across the organization and helping everyone get their footing and not necessarily driving that separation between the way that women share information and the way men share information and really just coming together of the way that we share information? Yeah, I love that question. And I think that is where we are right now. I think many men are sick and tired of playing that game as much as women have no interest because they suffer too. I mean, it is, we, we talk a lot about toxic masculinity these days, about how um, unhealthy it is for men, as much as it is dangerous or damaging to women. Men are looking for ways to, to support and to do things in a way that feel good and authentic for them and where they can make an impact and make a difference just as much as, as women. So that is why these kind of politics is not, it's not gender specific. This is for us to really come together and change the game because the way it's been played is unhealthy for 98% of the system, of the people in an organization. It's fabulous for the ones at the top. <laughs> and it's it can be really damaging for everybody else. And so the way that, that we change the game to positive politics, to, you know, um, relationship building and understanding each other better and coming together and driving results together is for each of us to come together around those three those three legs and and do it in a way that benefits us all it truly is about communication and understanding understanding yourself understanding others and as you said the system and the fact that at the end of the day we're here to deliver results so how do we get to those results and how do we communicate needs across those different constituencies? Tell our <laughs> listeners um, where they can find you, where they can find a copy of your book. Millennials Guide to Workplace Politics. It is on Amazon and uh, leave a review if you can. And um, you can find me at www.broncuassociates, that's B-R-A-N-C-U associates.com uh, or on LinkedIn under Mira Broncu. And I'd love to connect with people. 
It's been a really good conversation. I hope people come away from this thinking differently about office politics, the fact that you can try to hide from it, but probably not successfully in your career. Mm -hmm. So instead of avoiding it, learn how to go through it gracefully. If you're a woman, we understand that that might be even a little bit harder for you. So thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to Uplifting Women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by UpliftingWomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you. Please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.